last week, hopefully you know that we started preaching through the book of Ephesians, and I ended the message by telling you about Jarek. 18 years ago, when Jarek was four years old, he showed up at my church with his mother, Janiel, and no father, and Jarek just couldn't keep still. I, I remember thinking at the time, this kid is so cute, but he is just like looking for trouble everywhere he goes. Before long, Janiel started dating an, another guy at church named Andy. Uh, but Jarek still just couldn't keep still. I can't know this, but I think Jarek felt this. I don't have a daddy, and everybody knows it. Because you see, Janiel was white, Andy was white, and Jarek was this beautiful chocolate brown. Andy and Janiel eventually decided to marry and I performed this ceremony. Last week, I told you what happened as they were forming that, that covenant. Jarek was the ring bearer and he did a pretty good job for the first 60 seconds or so. I mean, he made it down the aisle and then he just couldn't seem to control himself, couldn't keep still. Within a few minutes, someone else was holding the ring and Jarek was quarantined under house arrest uh, in the front row between two relatives with big strong arms, squirming on the outside and squirming on the inside. And, and I think we're all just like Jarek, squirming in church, wondering if we have a daddy and if he loves us and if anyone notices that we really don't look quite like him. Well, anyway, Andy had just finished reciting his, his vows to Janiel. I was starting the ring ceremony and Jarek was causing trouble, just couldn't sit still, making noise, causing a fuss, and, and suddenly Andy just stopped me, right, right in the ceremony. He turned around and he found Jarek, gazed at Jarek, zeroed in on Jarek in front of everybody and he said, Jarek, I love you with all my heart. I will always be your daddy and you will always be my son. Period. He didn't say the period, you knew the period. <laughs> and, and he turned back around. And that's the first time I ever saw Jared Connolly sit still in church. He didn't move a muscle for the rest of the service. And then last week I said that that's the power of the blessing. A week ago Thursday, Andy emailed me from Minnesota saying, Peter Jarek's doing well. He just started his first week at West Point Academy. And I bet Jarek's heart looks a lot like Andy's. Even if his skin's a different color, his heart is the image of his father's. It's the power of the blessing. God the Father has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That was last week's message. This week, I'd like you to imagine what if. What if Andy said if? He didn't, but, but, but what if? I mean, what if Andy loved Jarek less? What if Andy um, got, got scared of the implications of his covenant vow to Jarek? Because you know, covenant vows of love can get you crucified. Did you know that? What if Andy didn't really care about Jarek's heart, but really only cared about uh, Jarek uh, acting correctly in church, that Jarek would stop fidgeting in, in church? Or what if someone uh, was delivering the message for Andy, and they didn't really love Jarek, but just wanted to control Jarek? And control church. I mean, what if this was the message? What if Andy said, said if? What if Andy said, Jarek, I love you with all my heart. If you do what I command you. But if you don't, I will hate you with all my heart, a perfect and complete hatred for all eternity. Or uh, what if he said this, Jarek, I will always be your daddy if you choose to come to meetings where people ritually reenact my sacrificial love. But if you don't, 
I'll torment you forever without end. Or, Jarek, I love you with all my heart and I will always be your daddy if you choose to believe that I love you with all my heart and, and will always be your daddy. And if you choose to confess that you are completely unworthy of this sacrificial love. But if you don't confess and don't believe that I love you unconditionally, then I'll hate you forever. No matter how much you cry out for mercy, there will be no mercy because my unconditional love has come to an end. Or what if Andy got more sophisticated, more theologically, philosophically sophisticated and said this, Jarek, I have some children, some children, that I love with all my heart. And I will always be their daddy. And Jarek, you might be one of those children. You'll know if you are, because one, you'll fully believe that you are. Two, you'll come to meetings that commemorate my love for you. And three, you'll do good deeds that evidence faith in my love. But if you don't, well, you'll come to realize that you are an illegitimate abomination created for the sole purpose of demonstrating the glory of God's justice as he torments you endlessly in hell. So anyway, what if, Andy said if. Well, I think any doctor, any psychologist, any parent with half a brain or half a heart would tell you, well, well that's not how you create a child. That's how you desecrate a child. That's how you literally uncreate a child. That's how you drive a child insane and trap them in their own personal hell. In Christ, God the Father has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And does he say, if? See this picture? Is that God's word to us? Jesus holding a rifle saying, I love you unconditionally, but if you don't love me back, I will torment you for eternity. I mean, is there an if at the end of God the Father's blessing? Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, there's all one sentence, you know, in the Greek, longest sentence in the Bible. Last week we looked at the first phrase, this week we'll look at the second phrase, but I wanna read the whole sentence to get the context and ask the question, is there an if? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. In love he predestined us for a adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things, not some things, all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things, not some things, all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be, might live to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, which is the guarantee, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory, period. Quite a sentence. Verse three, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. In Greek, before the foundation of the world of the cosmos. I grew up watching stuff like, like this. The cosmos is all that is, or ever was, 
or ever will be. Uh, for the first time, we have the power to decide the fate of our planet and ourselves. The cosmos is all that is, ever was, and ever will be. And we have the power to decide. Carl Sagan. And scientifically, um, that's a rather misleading and ridiculous statement. In fact, for the last 40 years since they made that show, it's become just abundantly clear that the cosmos had a beginning. That is, space and time themselves had a beginning, and space and time are relative to things like light and logos. I mean, who, which is nuts, who thinketh such things? And so the cosmos, you see, is not an uncaused cause. And that means that you and I, uh, neither of us are an uncaused cause. And that means every if is dependent on a foundational if. And that means all our choices are founded and continually dependent on another choice. The creator's choice. His if. So if you would, I'd like us to think just for a few minutes about space and time and every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places and if. Now, if I lose you, don't worry, I'll come back and, and get you. <laughs> and none of us fully understand this stuff. Actually, we cannot understand. But hopefully I can help you just a little more to believe. In, in 1884, a pastor and a, a school teacher named Edwin Abbott published a little book called Flatland. You know about Flatland? I mean, uh, you may have watched a cartoon of Flatland in high school geometry class. I've referred to it in the past, so maybe you remember that. And I'll probably need to refer to it more before we get through the letter to the Ephesians. Flatland is about two-dimensional creatures that live in peace in a two-dimensional world until one of the characters has a revelation of the third dimension and then tries to explain it to the citizens of Flatland. You remember that uh, St. Paul, like we talked about last time, uh, wrote that he, he had been caught up into the third heaven and there he heard things that he was unable to speak. Well, this flatlander that, that gets caught up into the third dimension, he sees things he cannot explain. Not because those things are untrue, but because they are more true than a two-dimensional mind can comprehend. The two-dimensional mind thinks the third dimension is, well, a, a metaphor or, or a, a myth. So the flatlander with the revelation insists, no, it's real, it's, it's real. And, and the other flatlanders rule him a heretic, throw him in prison, just like Paul. You see, if, if we lived in flatland, well, our, our world would, would look like this. Our, our cosmos would look like this. And we would only be able to see, perceive, two-dimensional um, objects, okay, like, like squares or circles or, or, or rectangles, two dimensions. So what would we see if a three-dimensional object intersected our world like a fine Michael Jordan basketball from Taco Bell? Okay, what, what would we see if a sphere intersected our world? Okay, here it comes, we don't see it, we don't see it, we don't see it, boom, all of a sudden, we see a point appear out of nowhere. And then it grows into a bigger circle, a bigger circle, a bigger circle, and then, and, then, and, then, and then it goes back to a point and it disappears again. What we would see is a miracle, a sign, um, um, a, a wonder. And we would say, what was that? And the man with the revelation, well, he would know. Well, what if uh, we saw a cylinder intersect our world, okay? Let's say it came along and intersected our world like this. What would we see, class? Rectangle. See a line, and then it would grow into a rectangle, and it would disappear again, okay? Now, what would we see if the same cylinder intersected our world like this? 
a circle, good class. Now imagine if the man with the revelation um, said to us, hey, check it out, this and this are the same thing. Uh, the rectangle is actually the circle, the two are one. We'd say, you're, an ins you're insane. What if he said three is one? Well, that, that, would really, that would really be something. Well, anyway, imagine if uh, we were in Flatland. Well, what if, what if this? What if, what if cubes and uh, spheres and, and rectangles, well, they, they, they like um, intersected Flatland all the time and stayed there? Well, that would mean that we would be surrounded by miracles and signs and wonders all the time and not even know it, right? And so we'd say stuff like this, hey, look at that circle. And the guy with the revelation would say, that's not just a circle, that's a sphere. And we think, guy's just full of silly myths, right? Uh, we'd say stuff like, well, look at that square over there. And the guy with the revelation would say, well, he's not a square, he's three-dimensional, he's, he's a cube. We'd say stuff like, look, those men, those men over there, my goodness, they're drunk on Pentecost Sunday. And the fellow with the revelation would say, I see holy fire filling a sacred temple. We'd say, look at those hippies over there sharing all their stuff in common. And he'd say, I see the new Jerusalem coming down. We'd say, how cute, that man over there, he's giving a cup of cold water to, to a child. And the man with the revelation would say, I see God the Father drinking his own love through Jesus Christ the Son. And we'd say, wow, what a, what a beautiful metaphor. And the fellow from Flyland would just shake his head in frustration. We might say something like this. Good Lord, I see a man naked, beaten, cursed, and nailed to a tree. It's the worst thing that I have ever seen. And the man with the revelation might say, well, I see a lamb. He's standing on a throne and a river comes from that throne and all creation kneels before him and worships. It is the most beautiful and blessed thing I've ever seen. We might say, there's no God. I see no God. And the man with the revelation would say, oh, in him we live and move and have our being. Now, imagine if I was God, okay? It's just a little game I like to play with my friends and family now, now and then, but imagine that, that I was God and Flatland like existed inside of me, okay? Intersected me and existed inside of me. Then, then you see, I could not be found in Flatland, right? And yet Flatland would be found in me. And what if I was love and my word was blessing? Well, the people in Flatland would literally swim in my love and vibrate to the sound of my blessing, but they couldn't see me. Unless I limited myself and my word and entered Flatland preaching, behold, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But even if I did that, they'd probably think I was insane. Take me outside the city and nail me to a tree. But do you see my point? I mean, maybe we really have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Maybe reality is more than these three dimensions. Maybe we need the eyes of our heart enlightened, as Paul put it, in order to see that we have been blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And maybe you yourself are one of those blessings. Paul said, we have already been seated in the heavenly places with Christ. You see, maybe we look in a two-dimensional mirror in just a moment in time, and so we say, I see a failure. I see a loser. I see a man that's cursed, naked, beaten, full of shame. He deserves to be crucified. But the man with the revelation says, oh no. Ephesians 2 verse 10, you are God's masterpiece. 
created in Christ Jesus for good works which he prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. Well, anyway, we all know that we live in three dimensions. But in the 20th century, um, scientists begin to say, no, it's not just three dimensions. You know, three dimensions are length, height, and width. They begin to argue that time or duration is also a, a dimension. Physicists don't know why, but we can only use, move one direction in, in time. Um, the fourth dimension. Though we dream about going back in time and changing our choices, we say, if only, but it's like somebody else is telling our story. Maybe he can go back in time and, and change our, our choices somehow, but whatever the case, we are not just three-dimensional beings. What would it be like to be a flatlander living in their two-dimensional world? A two-dimensional creature would have only length and width, as if they were the royalty on an impossibly flat playing card. And we three-dimensional human beings would seem very strange indeed to a flatlander. Okay, the first three dimensions can be described with these words. Length, width, then depth. What word can we assign to the fourth dimension? One answer would be duration. If we think of ourselves as we were one minute ago, and then imagine ourselves as we are at this moment, the line we could draw from the one minute ago version to the right now version would be a line in the fourth dimension. If you were to see your body in the fourth dimension, you'd be like a long undulating snake with your embryonic self at one end and your deceased self at the other. But because we live from moment to moment in the third dimension, we're like our second dimensional flatlanders. Just like that flatlander who could only see two-dimensional cross-sections of objects from the dimension above, we, as three-dimensional creatures, can only see three-dimensional cross-sections of our fourth-dimensional self. Well, currently, physicists postulate more than four dimensions. String theory postulates something like 11 dimensions, but you see, all these dimensions began at the Big Bang. And that means that whatever is before the Big Bang, if you will, and whatever is the foundation of the Big Bang, if you will, doesn't exist in space and time, but just is, I am, that, that I am. In other words, God sees all of you in, eternal, in, an, in, in an eternal moment, and, and you are like that long undulating snake. We think we create the long undulating snake with our choices, and in a way, we do. If you choose to go to med school and become a doctor, the snake twists and turns in a particular way and takes on a particular shape. If, on the other hand, you choose to drop out and rob liquor stores, the snake twists in another particular way and takes a different particular shape. It's interesting that the narrator refers to the human uh, life as, as that of a, of a, of a snake. Because the Bible clearly teaches that on our own, whether we choose to become a doctor or a thief, all of our choices are bad. And with them, we create something like that snake. We create the shell of a man, an empty void, a life of death, darkness, and lies, an empty existence. Yet St. Paul, the man with the revelation, writes this, that Christ will fill all things. Ephesians 1.22, we are his body the fullness of him who fills all in all. And we say, nice metaphor, Paul. And he just shakes his head in frustration. It's not a metaphor. Think of it, think of it this way. Um, what, so you can see this. We'll, we'll take one dimension away from Flatland and we'll add another dimension called time, okay? So it's breadth and time. And um, this is the beginning of time, and this is the end of time. Scripture says time has a beginning and an end. And, and then let's do this again, because I love playing this game. Let's imagine that I'm God, okay? And, and I hold Flatland right here in front, of my, in front of my face, and I say, Behold, Flatland, the time is at hand. Well, 
it would be at hand, right? At every time in Flatland, the time would be at hand. I would be at hand. And, and then let's, let's say I do this. The time is at hand. Behold, I come. <laughs> right? Okay. What would happen? Well, in one moment, one eternal moment, I would intersect every moment in Flatland, right? The beginning, the end, and all the moments in between. So check this out. Christ comes at the end of time, but Christ also comes the day you die, and they're the same moment. And maybe he comes now, I mean almost, well like every moment, if only in the words of Paul, the eyes of our hearts were enlightened so that we could see. That seeing is called faith. Faith is the very presence of eternal life in Flatland. Well, Christ comes to Flatland. Or maybe uh, you could say, we leave Flatland. Or maybe you could say, we're no longer imprisoned in Flatland. Or maybe you could say, our two-dimensional, temporal, and empty selves are filled with eternity. Or maybe you could say, even now they're full of eternity. It's just that we only see one cross-section of ourselves in time. We only see one page of an incredible story. Or we only see our choices and don't yet see God's choice, God's eternal choice, that transforms all of our temporal choices and fills our empty existence with meaning. Maybe we could think of it this way, okay? The bottom of the board is the beginning of my life, or the beginning of your life, and the top of the board is the end of your life, and you are created in time with choices. So anyway, you start on your journey here. Right, okay, you're born, and then you start on this journey, and, and before long, you're presented with a fork in the road. It's, it's a decision, it's a choice. Perhaps you take the right road, okay, and then you're presented with another decision, another choice, and perhaps you take uh, the wrong road, and then you take another road, and up, up like this, but you see, our life is comprised of these choices. The choices comprise my story and they create the shape of myself in time. Now most people think that uh, if you make enough bad choices, okay, and bad choices are called sin, if you make enough bad choices, well, you end up over here in a place called hell. But if you make enough Good choices, our, our paths just crossed right there, by the way. If you make enough good choices, do you remember that? We had lunch, but okay, if you make enough good choices, um, <laughs> you end up over here in heaven. That's what, that's what most people think. But you see, heaven isn't in flatland, is it? It's eternal. It's more like flatland is in heaven. And hell, oh yeah, hell is like getting stuck in flatland. Hell is like making a, a bunch of wrong choices until you are just stuck in the, in the middle, in the middle of, of flatland. The depths of the earth. Well, whatever the case, most evangelical Christians they think it's not the sum total of all your choices that gets you to heaven, but that you really only have to make one choice. And that overrides all the other, uh, all the other choices, and of course that choice is to choose Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided, I've chosen! The only problem with that is Jesus says you didn't choose me. I chose you. And apart from me, you can do nothing, nothing. And according to scripture, that is exactly what we choose, nothing. We choose a lie, we choose darkness, we choose death, we choose the outer darkness. Our choice is a lie and an illusion, and so with our choices, we create hell and put flesh on the devil. Whether we choose to go to med school or whether we choose to become a thief, even our good choices are as filthy rags. And so check this out. 
we are not saved by our choices. We are saved from our choices. In biblical language, we're saved from our sin. Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. And only in Christ can we do something. Only by the grace of God can we make a, a good choice. So, so, so we didn't choose him, and yet he chose us to make good choices. Or at least to walk in them that he had prepared beforehand. In fact, he takes our bad choices and transforms them into God's choice. He takes our sin and transforms it into grace. He takes our old man, an empty, sinful, snake-like man, and fills him with himself, the eternal word of God. So he transforms Pharisee Saul into the apostle Paul, and check this out, nothing gets wasted. He uses every bad choice in, in Saul's life. He takes Simon the coward and transforms him into Peter the rock and, and nothing gets wasted. In order to, to make a Peter the rock, he uses all of Simon the coward. He finishes our story and fills all of our empty sin with grace and we live to the praise of his glory and that's a good choice. But for now, I, I, just, want you to, I just want you to see this that all of these choices, they comprise our particular story, right? The shape of our lives. All your choices, the ones you call good, the ones you call bad, um, they happen here in time. Every juncture, every if with which you are presented, every choice you make is here in Flatland. And Paul writes, you were chosen in Christ Jesus from the foundation of Flatland. From the foundation of the earth, the foundation of the world. That means before space existed, before time existed. In a realm where the world, a word like before doesn't really work. In, in a realm where our language breaks down. In that realm, before Flatland, God saw all of you. Every choice, every sin, every decision, every flaw for which he would bleed and then fill with grace. He saw the sin that you're going to commit tomorrow and you don't even know about today. He saw all of it. And he spoke a word, he made a choice. And boom, it all existed. Not only foreseen, but predestined. For he is the creator even of time. You see, there is one choice that matters. There is one who has free will, and it's not you. It's not yours. There is one that is entirely free, has an entirely free will. It's God's will, God's word, God's choice, God's blessing. And oh yeah, we took the blessing on the tree but God forgave the blessing from the foundation of the earth. It was predestined. In other words, you have been blessed in Christ Jesus with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world. In other words, children of God, your father has blessed you and there is no if other than the blessing itself. All of our decisions, all of our ifs exist within God's decision, God's if, a decision decided before the world began and revealed upon a tree as Jesus cried out, it is finished. The decision, the judgment, the choice, the election of God is finished. You are predestined for every blessing. In other words, your father says to you, I love you with all my heart. 
I will always be your daddy, and you will always be my son, my daughter, my child, and you can't change it. The if belongs to me. I am the uncaused cause. I am free, I am love, and I have decided, I have decided to save you, period. Isn't that incredible? I mean, isn't that empowering? Isn't it comforting? Isn't it liberating? It's amazing grace, and everyone says, hallelujah, amen, until I say the exact same thing, but in a different way. You ready? This is it. That thing that most folks call free will, that thing that you may call free will, well, it's not free will. And actually, the Bible calls it sin. What's free will? Free will is so hard for us to talk about because the phrase doesn't even appear in my Bible, the English Standard Version or the, the King James Version. And throughout the Bible, when people are told to choose the good, like in Deuteronomy 30 and Joshua 24, it's soon revealed that they can't. Yet American preachers preach that we have a free will. They preach it all the time, saying stuff like this. You are blessed if. You are saved if. You are forgiven if. It's your choice. Because you have a free will. So, so what do we mean by free will? I don't know what you mean, but I think this is what most people mean. It's this idea that a person can choose good or evil because that person is responsible for their own choices. That is, no one else causes their choices because they are the cause of their own choices, which means that they are the uncaused cause. The uncreated creator, the unchosen chooser, the original if. In other words, God. If you make a choice, you are the chooser, right? Did you choose your own chooser? Are you your own source? Let me put it another way. Are you an illegitimate bastard? Oh, I am, I really am sorry to use such a horrid word, but I want you to listen, and I want to get your attention. I, I want you to hear. What, what do we mean by that horrid word? I mean, don't we mean a child that wasn't chosen and yet must choose? A child that has no source, no father. A child born outside of the unbreakable covenant of, of grace. I mean, I'm sorry to, to be so blunt, but I, but I want you to listen. You see, Satan wants you to believe that you are an illegitimate bastard. And you are not. I'm talking to you. You are not. Satan wants you to believe that you are. He wants you to believe that you are your own source, that you are an uncaused cause, that you are your own creator, savior, and redeemer, that God loves you if, if you choose something, for then your choice creates love, and God is love, then you think you are God's creator, when in fact you are creating a prison of darkness and lies, a false self, an empty self, a vain ego. You create hell and give flesh to the devil. You create desecration, uncreation, and empty void. Where whether you choose to become a doctor or a thief who robs liquor stores. It's all sin when you believe that you create yourself with your own free will. All sin comes from the belief that you are your own source, an uncaused cause, an illegitimate Bastard. All sin comes from a lie whispered in your ear by a snake 
And this is the lie. Your daddy doesn't love you. So you better take some knowledge. Take some knowledge of good and evil from that tree. Take it. So you can make your own choices. So you can make yourself in the image of God. Oh, hell, just make yourself God. A will entirely free. In America, it is like our national anthem. We will now do the national anthem, but you needn't rise. And now, the end is near. And so I face the final curtain. But what is a man? What has he got? not himself, then he has not to say the thing he truly feels, and not the word of one who kneels. The record shows I took the blow, and it is not the words of one who kneels, and so the record shows I did it my way. <laughs> I was about eight years old when my uncle died. They sang that at his funeral. I remember thinking, what the hell? <laughs> As an eight-year-old. <laughs> but do you see my point? Amazing grace is utterly offensive to that. It's utterly offensive to that spirit which we are so attracted to. Believe me, I mean, I did it my way. That's attractive to an eight-year-old. Nothing is as offensive, though. Nothing is as offensive to the fallen children of Adam as amazing grace. Amazing grace literally kills us, literally crucifies us, that prideful, old, self-indulgent me. The hellish self that is us. And, and, and I believe amazing grace will kill Frank Sinatra if it has not already killed Frank Sinatra. For when he faces the final curtain, he'll see that it's ripped from the top to the bottom, and he'll look to the throne, and he'll see a lamb standing as if he had been slain. And he'll look at his hands, he'll look at his feet, he'll see dark, deep wounds carved across his back, and he will realize that with his own way, he inflicted every wound. And then he will hear a voice, and the voice will be deeper than space, broader than time, the voice through, which reverberates through all of creation. He will hear a voice, and the voice will say something like this, Frank, look, I love you with all my heart, Frank, and I will always be your daddy, and you will always be my son. And Frank will watch as a river of blood flows from that throne and it will burn away all of his arrogance and all of his pride and it will fill all those empty places with life, transforming his sins into a revelation of grace, transforming his evil choices into God's good choice. I don't know when it will happen. Perhaps it will happen after millions of years of outer darkness. Perhaps it's happened already, but Frank Sinatra will be judged by the living God. And then it will no longer be Frank Sinatra that lives, but Christ, the word of God, the decision of God that lives in Frank Sinatra. And this will happen, this will happen. He will drop to his knees. 
giving praise to God the Father through Jesus the Son, the Lamb standing upon the throne. His knee will bow, every knee will bow. His knee will bow and he will live to the praise of God's glory rather than his own glory. He will be free, in other words, and all of his choices will be good. Good and free, like a child at play in his father's garden, Frank Sinatra will be home. The grace of God is the decision of God, the judgment of God upon all our judgments. The only if that matters, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed upon the cross, Jesus Christ and him crucified, God's choice, relentless love, amazing grace. It kills us and sets us free. Free to do what? Listen closely. Choose the good in freedom because we want to. You see, you were not born with a good free will. But from the foundation of the cosmos, you were predestined for a good free will. And how does God create that good free will? He consigns you to your own bad choices. He consigns you to disobedience. And he does that in order to reveal his good choice, which is mercy. You have been chosen to choose the good in freedom. And God himself is the good. You have been predestined for a good Free will. And now you may ask, if you're following along with me, you may ask this question, well, gosh then, Peter, doesn't that make me an uncaused cause? No. It makes you the sanctuary of the uncaused cause. It makes you the body of the uncaused cause. It makes you the body of Christ. You see, a good choice in you Faith, hope, love in you is God's eternal choice in you. It's the life of Christ rising in you, the decision of your Father within you, and that is how he makes us in his own image. A good will and a free will. A good free will, you see, is the gift of God. So as soon as you take credit for that gift, it's no longer a gift. It's no longer free. And it's no longer good. And you're no longer dancing. For you no longer believe that you are a beloved child at play in your father's garden. Every evil choice comes from a fear that you are an illegitimate bastard. And every good choice comes from a deep conviction that you are a beloved son, a beloved daughter, a beloved child. Actually, it's the very spirit of the son rising within you. And so you see, we choose because we've been chosen. And let me put it another way, and this is my whole sermon if you didn't follow all this stuff. <laughs> we love because he has first loved us. So check this out, Carl Sagan. I know what's on the other side of the Big Bang. I know what caused the Big Bang. It was a choice. And this is the choice. This is the word of God that he chose to take the bread on the night when the entire world betrayed him. He took the bread and he broke it saying, this is my body given to you. Take and eat and do it in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper and having given thanks, he took the cup and he said, this cup is, is, is the cup of my covenant, the covenant in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you. Do it in remembrance of me. Whether or not God in Christ chose to do this is the only if 
And Jesus the Christ is his answer, and the answer is yes. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 19, Paul writes, in Christ, it is always yes. Yes, I love you with all my heart. Yes, I will always be your daddy. Yes, you will always be my son, my daughter, my child. You are not an illegitimate bastard. You are my workmanship, created for my glory, for my good pleasure, and I accomplish all things according to the counsel of my will. That's my decision. In Jesus' name, believe the gospel, come to the table, ingest the decision of God, and live the decision of God. In Jesus' name, amen. so much better than we know ourselves and you know Lord God that we live in this world with anxiety shame and fear scared to death that we're illegitimate scared to death that we don't belong to somebody scared to death that there's not someone who watches out for us and loves us passionately furiously and and endlessly Lord God we're scared to death that well that you don't love us and from the foundation of the world, Lord Jesus, you do. God, it terrifies us to think what is beyond the foundation of the world. And oh, what good news to know it's you, Jesus. It's you. And so we thank you. We praise you. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you. Amen. And so do you see what Paul is saying? Excuse me, Michael. He's, he's saying, he's saying, that, that this, okay, this right here is the foundation of this, the foundation of all things. And he's saying that this, all things are created by your Father in heaven as a stage to exhibit this. How much he loves you. So if you have any doubt at all that you're an illegitimate bastard, okay, you are not. Because the Father in heaven, the creator of all things, he says, look, this is how much you matter to me. My body, my blood, my covenant. There is no covenant deeper. There is no covenant stronger. There is no other voice that you must listen to. There's no other word more powerful than this word. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, you are blessed. In Jesus' name. Believe the gospel. Amen.